0: Letters Alive was created as a part of Podcast Lab by India Film Project in association with Anchor by Spotify. Have you ever written a letter? If you're a late millennial like me or someone from Gen Z, chances are that you probably haven't. And even if you have, have you or rather would you write a letter to somebody who is dead? Hello and welcome to today's episode of Letters Alive. I am Pawan and this is Letters Alive where in each episode we pick a remarkable letter, dig deeper into it, get to know the personalities involved, its history, and the reasons why that letter got into existence in the first place. We also try to bring it to life with a dramatic reading. Stay tuned for today's episode. The letter we are going to talk about today was written by the legendary Richard P. Feynman. It's difficult to introduce him because he was not just a physicist or a scientist, but he encompasses so many attributes in his personality. He was a great teacher, a charismatic performer, and of course, Nobel laureate. Let's get to know him a little bit better. Richard uh, Philip Feynman was born on 11th of May 1918 in um, New York to working class parents who were Jewish in origin, and immigrated to United States before Richard was born. He got his bachelor's from MIT, and he was the first person to get full score in mathematics and physics to get into grad school for Princeton. After spending some time in Princeton, he was recruited for Manhattan Project, which was code name for developing the atomic bomb for uh, World War II, which was dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He later went on to become professor of theoretical physics in Cornell and then later Caltech. And that earned him the title of the great explainer because he would explain such complex topics with such simplicity that even a layman could understand these topics. He worked in um, quantum electrodynamics which earned him a Nobel in physics. That prize was shared. And Richard for one was a person who did not bother much about accolades and awards. Here's what he had to say in an interview regarding winning the Nobel. Was it worth
1: the Nobel Prize?
0: I don't know anything about the Nobel Prize. I don't understand what it's all about or what's worth what. And if the the people in the Swedish Academy decide that X, Y, or Z wins the Nobel Prize, then so be it. I don't like honors. I appreciate it for the work that I did and for people who appreciate it, and I notice other physicists use my work, I don't need anything else. I don't think there's any sense to anything else. I don't see that it makes any point that someone in the Swedish Academy decides that this work is noble enough to receive a prize. I've already got the prize. The prize is the pleasure of finding a thing out, the kick in the discovery, the observation of other people use it. Those are the real things. The honors are unreal to me. I don't believe in honors. Post winning the Nobel, Richard spent time in a lot of different areas. He continued to be professor in Caltech, but he also spent time to work on his drawing. And interestingly, if you look at his initial drawings, when he started working on on the art, they were terrible, to put it bluntly. But Within few years, you see that dramatic change and, and the sketches he produced later on are marvelous. So that's a lesson to all of us out here that even a genius like Feynman has to put in work to improve. So do we. You cannot say that people are born with that kind of ability. You have to put in the hours and the effort to achieve mastery in any art or subject for that matter. Anyways, two years before his death, Fenman was included in the Rogers Commission Investigation Committee, which was set to investigate why the 1986 Space Shuttle launched by NASA, I think it was called Challenger, was met with an accident. And it exploded in in the air with, if I'm not wrong, six people dying because of that. And, uh... He passed away on February fifteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, because of cancer. And uh, we can we can spend hours talking about Feynman. He he had such a dynamic and charismatic personality. But today my focus is on the letter which Feynman wrote. And he wrote lots of letters, but the letter we are going we are talking about today is the letter he wrote to his first deceased wife, Arlene. and. Uh, It's a very, very special letter. Let's talk about that area of Feynman's life, how he met Arlene, how they decided to get married and how that letter got its existence. This was the time Richard was in high school and he spent some time at the beach during summers. That's where he met this beautiful girl, Arlene Greenbaum.
1: My brother, when he was still quite young, used to say to me all the time, women are no good, women are no good. So one day I had done something stupid in my opinion and I said to him, you know, Richard, you're right. Women are no good. He got this glassy look in his eyes, he said no i met a wonderful woman last night well that was arlene and if you had walked on the beach in rockaway you would see arlene sitting with braided hair so they they met and uh, were attracted to one
0: another and uh, very soon richard proposed and arlene accepted but things were just not perfect And here's how Joanne describes it.
1: So we went to Atlantic City, and Arlene came with us. My brother and Arlene would walk on the boardwalk behind me, singing in a loud voice. She walks, she talks, she crawls on her belly like a reptile. Uh, My father noticed that Arlene had a, a bump on her back of her neck, and... She wasn't feeling well. And they did, the doctors didn't know what the bump was. But she got sicker and sicker.
0: So initially this was thought to be typhoid. And the doctors began the treatment. And Feynman would just get into fights with the treatment they were giving to her. And she miraculously sort of started getting better. But this was still short-lived and she started showing worse symptoms again and finally there was no much explanation about this mysterious disease but it was known and pointing towards a unfortunate tragic end and the doctors kept the secret from her however richard refused to go along with that he promised and rather they both had promised to each other that they will face life with nothing but the truth. So he did not want to keep this fact from Arlene. And uh, I'm going to read an extract from the book called Genius, The Life and Science of Richard Feynman. It's written by James Gleick. Here's what Gleick writes. His parents, Arlene's parents, And the doctors all urged him not to be so cruel as to tell a young woman she was dying. His sister Joanne, sobbing, told him he was stubborn and heartless. He broke down and bowed to tradition. In her room at Farmingdale Hospital with her parents at her side, he confirmed that she had glandular fever. Meanwhile, he started carrying around a letter. A goodbye letter, as he called it that he planned to give her when she discovered the truth. He was sure she would never forgive the unforgivable lie. He did not have long to wait. Soon after Arlene returned home from the hospital, she crept to the top of the stairs and overheard her mother weeping with a neighbor down in the kitchen. When she confronted Richard, his letter snug in his pocket. He told her the truth, handed her the letter and asked her to marry him. And this was the beautiful marriage proposal by Feynman. But nature had to play its part. And uh, as they were preparing for it, the disease was diagnosed as tuberculosis. And this was around 1941, where even penicillin was not discovered. And tuberculosis was a tragic and slow death sentence. And there was very... Little chance that somebody suffering from tuberculosis would survive. But Richard and Arlene decided that they still had to marry. The parents and the families, of course, were not happy about this decision. Imagine this, that you know that someone you are going to marry is going to die soon. Forget the families. It's such a... I am short of words. I don't know whether it's brave, bold, or just plainly stupid. But that's the power of love, right? But the families, of course, were not happy. And uh, Richard's mother, especially, was not too happy to hear about this. But even after all this resistance, Richard was in love. Here's another interesting letter he wrote to Ali. I guess maybe it is like rolling off of a log. My heart is filled again and I am choked with emotions. And love is so good and powerful, it's worth preserving. I know nothing can separate us. We have stood the tests of time and our love is as glorious now as the day it was born. Dearest riches have never made people great, but love does it every day. We are not little people, we are giants. I know we both have a future ahead of us with a world of happiness, now and forever. And on June 29, 1942, they did get married. Months before their marriage, America got into World War II. So Richard got into the Manhattan Project and this was based out of a secret laboratory In New Mexico it was for developing the atomic bomb and Arlene was admitted to a sanatorium a place where people who had chronic and fatal diseases would be kept and treated she used to write letters to Richard in code and that also got Richard into trouble because he was on a top secret mission and there were day in day out letters coming in which was which were in code the, the authorities thought that there's some kind of information leak happening, but this was just the fun play between the couple. But during all this time, the sad part is Aline was still dying. And here's what Richard wrote to her in one of the letters exchange. You are a strong and beautiful woman. You're not always as strong as other times, but it rises and falls like the flow of a mountain stream. I feel I am a reservoir for your strength. Without you, I would be empty and weak. I find it much harder these days to write these things to you. In every single letter, he told her that he loved her. He wrote, I have a serious affliction, loving you forever. It was in early 1945, two and a half years after their marriage, that they made love for the first time because... Richard was afraid that he would be harming her frail health. And Arlene feared that she might transfer the disease to Richard. But then she insisted and they went ahead and made love for the very first time. Arlene's health continued to plummet. And finally, on June 16th, 1945, exactly at 9.21pm, she passed away. And why I mentioned that 9.21 p.m., because there's an interesting anecdote about that, which we'll talk post the letter. It's a very interesting metaphysical kind of a thing which happened. So we're going to talk about that later. But yeah, Richard was in the lab and he got the call that Arlene has passed away. He rushed to see her and he arranged for her cremation the next morning. And he collected her personal belongings and on the final page of the notebook where she used to record her symptoms, he wrote, June 16, death. So I guess that was it, the end of the love story. Nah, because this love was yet to be immortalized in that letter, which was to be written 16 months or 488 days after Arlene had passed away. This letter was undiscovered for 45 years and was only made public after Feynman had died. So, let's get into that bittersweet letter. October 17th, 1946 Darlene, I adore you, sweetheart. I know how much you like to hear that, but I don't only write it because you like it. I write it because it makes me, it makes me warm all over inside to write it to you. It has been such a terribly long time since I last wrote to you, almost almost. Two years. But I know you'll excuse me because you understand how I am. Stubborn and realistic. And I thought there was no sense to writing, so... But now I know, my darling wife, that it is the right thing to do. What I have delayed in doing and I have done so much in the past. I want to tell you I... I love you. I want to love you. And I will always love you. I find it hard to understand in my mind what it means to love you after you are, after you are dead. But I still want to comfort and take care of you. And I want you to love me and care for me. I want to have problems to discuss with you. I want to do those little projects with you. I never thought until just now that we can do that. What should we do? We started to learn to make clothes together or learn Chinese. Or getting a movie projector. Can't I do something now? No. I am... Alone without you and you were the idea woman and general instigator of all our wild adventures. When you were sick, you worried because you could not give me something that you wanted to and thought I needed. You needn't had worried, darling. Just as I told you then, there was no real need because I loved you in so many ways so much. And now it is clearly even more true. You can give me nothing now, yet I love you so much, I love you so much that you stand in my way of loving anyone else, but I want you to stand there, because you dead are so much better than anyone else alive, I know. I know you will assure me that I am foolish and that you want me to have full happiness and don't want to be in my way. I, I'll bet you are surprised that I don't even have a girlfriend even after two years. Except you, sweetheart. But you can't help it, darling, nor can I. I, I don't understand it. For I have met many girls and very nice ones. And I don't want to remain alone, but in two or three meetings, they all seem ashes. You only are left to me. Because you are real. My darling wife, I adore you. I love my wife. My wife is dead. With love rich There was a postscript in that letter and Feynman obviously using his humor at inappropriate places and here's one instance of that and in that postscript he writes Please excuse my not mailing this, but I don't know your new address. This has been very beautifully sad for me. And when I read it for the first time, I had shivers. Because this is not a piece of literature which is written very rich in words or very poetic in nature. But it still encompasses the human emotion so beautifully and so intricately. Such simple things that he mentions about what he misses about her, remembering the times they were together and how they could have done more things together. I guess that's what love boils down to, right? So, earlier in the episode, we talked about what was special about the clock clockwits stuck at 9.21 when Arlene passed away. Here's what... Feynman recalls in his in his book of memoirs. And I quote, Arlene had kept this clock by her bedside all the time she was sick. And now it stopped the moment she died. I can understand how a person who half believes in the possibility of such things and who hasn't got a doubting mind, especially in a circumstance like that, doesn't immediately try to figure out what happened, but instead explains that no one touched the clock and there was no possibility of explanation by normal phenomena. The clock simply stopped. It would become such a dramatic example of these fantastic phenomena. I saw that the light in the room was low and then I remembered that the nurse had picked up the clock and turned it toward the light to see the face better. That could easily have stopped it. I went for a walk outside. Maybe I was fooling myself, but I was surprised how I didn't feel what I thought people would expect to feel under the circumstances. I wasn't delighted, but I didn't feel terribly upset. Perhaps because I had known for seven years that something like this was going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to face all my friends up at Los Almos. I didn't want people with long faces talking to me about it. When I got back, they asked me what happened. I said, she's dead. And how's the programming going? They caught on right away that I didn't want to moon over it. That's how Feynman recalls the entire incident. I want to close this episode by few comments I got on a Reddit thread while doing the research for this episode. And just before that, I would like to credit an article which had been super helpful in framing this episode. That's by Brain Pickings, one of my favorite websites. This is not a paid promotion, by the way. I genuinely like that website. So there's an article on Brain Pickings about this letter and the whole story of Richard and Arlene and a lot of content has been borrowed from there. So due credit to that. And also the audio clips used are under fair usage policy. So coming back to the comments I was mentioning, there was this thread on Reddit where someone posted the link to this letter and people were commenting and two of these comments got my attention and um, I would want to mention them here because they encompass closely of what my emotions are after reading this letter. So here goes the first one. It says, if nothing else good comes out of human achievement... To know that a human being could feel this kind of positive connection to another, I think it was worth it. The whole lot. Crawling out of the muck and then hopping down from the trees. War, ecological catastrophe, everything worth it. Is that a selfish notion? Maybe. Is that pride some sort of human-centric hubris? I don't know. And the reply to that is even more beautiful. And I paraphrase it. You just made me realize that love is not the greatest feeling in the world. A feeling so immense and definitive as the sentence, in the end, for that one beautiful moment, every human suffering in the world was worth living. This is far more beautiful a thing than its original meaning. The meaning of life is not love. The meaning of life is that everything is worth living as long as one purely good moment exists somewhere. That good is that much more important than the bad. That wraps up our today's episode of Letters Alive. I hope you liked and enjoyed it. And if you did, please don't forget to like, follow and share this with your family and friends. Please let me know your thoughts on today's episode by comments or voice notes. Or you can also reach us at lettersalivepodcast at the rate We're always open to receive your thoughts on the episode, whether you liked it or not. And I'll see you in the next episode again. Take care until then. Bye-bye.